This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome in to Inside Carolina's On the Beat Live Wednesday night, day later than normal since Carolina and the Citadel played on Tuesday night in our normally a slotted hour. Martin, Adam Smith, John Bowman here. A little bit of uh, news these days. Adam, I'll, I'll come to you straight out the gate. I usually go to Ross first. I'm, I'm putting you in the headlines first. What you been up to the past couple of days? Well, seems like you've been a little busy. That's kind of a personal question, Tommy, isn't it? Well, I'm, I'm strictly inside Carolina related. <laughs> By the way, we can always go to Ross first if that feels more comfortable for everybody. Um, we're trying to put the pieces together on this thing. Um, you know, you I think Ross, can you hear us okay? You're good. Yeah, I had some I had some issues with the old headphones. Go ahead, Adam. Let's go. Well, I was just saying, I think Ross has been doing a great job with his ear to the ground. We're just trying to put the pieces together on this thing. I think we were kind of surprised today that the uh the offensive line coach was was named before the offensive coordinator. I don't know if what everybody else thought about that. Did you guys think that was a little a little bit weird on the timing, maybe? Personally, um, I've been around Carolina football a long time, so it's not surprising. Ross, what did you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I thought that was that was odd. I thought we would get the OC hire first, and then, you know, he would bring in – can you all hear me and everything? Yeah, we got you perfect. Yeah, we got you. Yep. You're a little, little hot earlier, but it's good now. Yeah, uh, and then the, the OC would bring in his own um, offensive mm-hmm. line coach. That was not the case. Uh Randy Clements, is that what we're saying? Clements? Clements. Adam? Sounds right to me. Clements. <laughs> uh, he's your he's UNC's new offensive line coach. So it, it, it leads us down a lot of different roads because what was odd is Seth Luttrell was quoted in the release. <laughs> Major Applewhite was quoted in the release. Um, he has ties. So you start doing all this research and you start looking at, all right, who is, is Randy Clements tied to and he is from he is about as pure as you can get from the art briles tree i mean he coached with art briles at stephenville high school he's coached the art briles for 23 years so then you start looking at obviously they're not going to hire art briles so then you start looking at who he coached with um at different stops at baylor and then houston um florida state old miss north texas and the the names you know south Trail. Uh, Jeff Libby, he's coached with in multiple places. And um, 
and, and Kendall Bryle, Bryles, who is the OC at Arkansas. So you, you start thinking about those names now. But who knows? I mean, it could be someone from, from somewhere else. Maybe Max wanted to make an offensive line coach hire, and he picked out who he thought was the best candidate. Um, and, and the offensive coordinator will be from some other coaching tree. So who knows? It, it led down us down a lot of different paths as we were talking this afternoon about what's going on with the off- offensive line. Offensive coordinator uh, search, it's just been very tight-lipped. I and mean, there just hasn't been much out there. Um, so, yeah. And, what do you think, John? Well, I, I wanted to ask, ask a question here because this is on the beat live. This is behind the scenes of covering UNC. So uh, this is a question for Adam and Ross. I know you can't use any specifics, but tell me what it means journalistically to have a source and what's that process like? How do you cultivate that relationship? I know you can't talk any specifics. I'm not asking for specifics, but just Adam, as a capital J journalist, and, and Ross as someone who's been on the beat for a long time, what does it mean to have a source who might ask something uh, this week? I think that means uh, sources a lot of different things for a lot of different people. And I mean, I know I'm, I know that's not a straight answer for you, but I think that a lot of people, especially at a school like UNC. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who like to think that they know what's going on. Um, and that's fine. That's why UNC has a, a, a big fan base. And, um, you know, some places, smaller schools that I've covered, you know, it's usually uh, it's a it's a very limited uh, group of people who know what's going on. Sometimes it's a search party of one. And actually with this search, it seems like that's how Mac has done it. Ross mentioned that it, it has been tight lipped. We we've heard from a couple different people that uh, even the people who brought Mac Mac back, even though that sort of the Rams club uh, big wig donors haven't heard much about what's going on with this offensive coordinator. That's what we've heard that even that even they haven't picked up any uh, nuggets or morsels. Um, so, yeah, I think. It, it, to be honest with you, on our end, it can be exhaustive because you are trying to talk to as many different people as you can. You're trying not to bother them or piss them off, and or at least I'm not. You're trying to be polite with their time, and you also want them to know that you you respect where they're coming from on this. And if if they can help you out a little bit, you can try to cross check that with what you're doing or what someone else says. You know what I mean? So that's that's what we have tried to do is, is talk to each other about what we've heard and how that matches up with all the other stuff we've heard. And like Ross is saying with the offensive line coach today, it's sort of a, it's like a backwards thing where you start looking at who he's been with, because you know, that that hire much like Phil Longo and Jack McNeil jr. You know, there's, there's going to be some sort of a connection or chemistry you would think there to where the coordinator and the offensive line coach see eye to eye on a lot of things or run similar things. It's interesting, uh, Randy Clements. You mentioned that that coaching past or, or his his hiring there and all the various places. Jason Staples will join us here in a minute. Um, somebody in the chat, Carolina ninety three, the guy that's got my username, uh, said uh, that he's good. So Jason will come and explain those comments. Ross, um, when you cover coaching searches, uh, I mean, you've been around doing this stuff both with Inside Carolina and elsewhere. I mean, it, it can happen at any time. You know, we've often talked about Fridays or news dumps. You want the bad news to come out Friday. You want 
good news to come out early in the week so it can ride the wave. I mean, to be honest, Carolina football hadn't really done that of late, has it? And and how have you been trying to be prepared for what's coming, but also having many other facets of covering the beat for Inside Carolina on your plate as well as Adam has? So one of the more annoying parts of this job is waiting, is waiting for news to drop and having to be ready at all times. Um, it can, it can uh, hold you captive. You know, I've gone places with my laptop. I have, you know, you, I have to constantly check your phone. Um, you know, and we're kind of held hostage now by this uh, OC search because we know it's happening soon. Um, so I'm hoping it gets wrapped up before we go to New York. Um, you know, you know, the wife and kid got up, you gotta, Hey, gotta tell the wife and kids, you know, I gotta look at my phone. I gotta, I gotta stay abreast of the information here. Um, so and, and it happens in recruiting too. Like recruiting, like, we know, this story is coming. And so we have to stay ready to run the, on Twitter, run Facebook, run Instagram for all the stuff. So, um, you know, luckily, hopefully it happens during the day, like during the workday, like this news broke and I was at a vegan coffee shop when Randy Clements, who I doubt is vegan, um <laughs> uh, was named as as head coach as offensive line coach so I, we were ready uh I was talking with ben and we got it all up um the phil longo news luckily happened i was at my house but we had the story pre-written we just had a plug in wisconsin um because we knew he was going places and you know you know a little glimpse inside here we have some stuff written um some some background written on UNC's offense on Drake May. We have a couple, you know, you, you think of the names that might be hired. We have a little bit written about a couple guys. Now I don't think we're going to get into all those names. I mean, we we've mentioned Jeff Libby, we mentioned uh, uh, Kendall Browles. I mean, it seems like Graham Harrell. He's interviewed him before. Mac Brown has. Like that's a guy that I've researched a little bit. So you just think about air raid coaches, and, and you get an idea of maybe who it could be, but. It's been so tight-lipped. I don't think the offensive uh, – I don't think the coaching staff knows. I don't think the assistant coaches are, are in the loop on this one. So not many people know. Um, but, I mean, do you want to get into a little bit about um, Randy Clements at all? Yeah, let me get or, Jason. Or wait till Jason. Yeah, yeah. let's, I'll let's go. get in. You tell us what you know, and then we'll get Jason in for his background there because it might be different. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, Randy Clements, we, we, we went through it. I mean, he has been at – he's a Texas guy. So he coached at Stephen F. Austin. He coached at Stephenville High School. That's where he got up with Art Bryles. Um, he was at Houston with Art Bryles. Um, now, Art Bryles went to Texas Tech for two years and learned the air raid under Mike Leach, was running backs coach um, under Mike Leach. And then he got head job at Houston, and that's when Randy Clements made the jump to college. He was at Baylor for, from 2008 to 2016. Adam, who was the head coach in 2016 at Baylor after Art Bryles got fired? It wasn't Matt Rule. Nope. It was Jim Grobe. So he coached one right. year under former former Wake Forest coach Jim Grobe. I did some research, y'all. Then he was Great at job, Southeastern bro. University. Southeastern University with Jeff Libby as the OC. Um, and then Houston, Florida State, Ole Miss, all for one season. Uh, and that was with uh, Major Applewhite and Kendall Bryles and Kendall Bryles at, at, at Florida State. And then uh, at Lane Kiffin, and he was fired at Ole Miss in the spring before the 2021 season, which was odd. I'm trying to figure out why he got fired. And then he was at Seth at North Texas with Seth Luttrell. So and Seth Luttrell got fired uh, in 2022, and that's why Randy Clements 
didn't have a job. And um, that's why he's now UNC State coach. I mean, football guy through and through. From all accounts, a very good offensive line coach. I mean, you look at some of the numbers. He's been on some really good offenses. Runs the air raid, offensive line portion of the air raid. Um, you know, seems to check most of the boxes from a football side of things. Um, you know, he, he looks like an offensive line coach. He's coached with some big names. Um, he's never coached in this area. You know, you look at like recruiting circle. That's a, always important thing. He's a, he's a Texas, you know, deep South. Um, it's been in Louisiana, Houston, Florida state, Ole Miss, never kind of this part of the South, uh, this part of the East coast too. Now, what Adam, the, let me, let me ask you a question before Adam jumps in. What does an offensive line coach look like? Give me a description. Oh, you know that answer, Tommy. Come on. <laughs> I don't know. State's new and looks like right. he plays in a Marvel movie. <laughs> yeah. He is square jaw. Usually not skinny. Now, they don't have to be fat, but they're not skinny. <laughs> Usually some sort of facial hair. Just a lack of care for physical appearance. Um, <laughs> lack of care. Rough. <laughs> um just I mean, big dudes big dudes that you think that lumberjackish lumberjacky <laughs> yeah i think yeah. one of the things that i thought was interesting ross was talking about the research yeah i mean we've been like we've been trying to research it uh kendall bryles um played under mac brown at texas for two years that's where he started mm, his I uh, yeah i just happened across that i mean we knew the other connections with his coaching past and all that but he started his career as a defensive back, played two years at Texas under Mac, 2001, 2002, then transferred to Houston and played receiver there, um, which, by the way, he's like in the Texas High School Hall of Fame as a quarterback. So he was You know what's crazy? Uh, it, w- nobody's lying when they said Mac Brown knows everybody. I mean, yeah, literally that's has one of the problems everybody. when you're trying to connect the dots. Uh, the, the places you connect – can connect them or not limited. Yeah. Let's bring Jason Staples in. He's in the waiting room. Um, a man that cannot be in the waiting room for too terribly long because he's too important. Uh, there he is. Well, Jason Staples. Look at, this. Look at- the, the fire is still burning. Oh, it's still going. We'll, we'll see how long it's, uh, how long it's up. Well, maybe not for a few more days. Jason Staples, Randy Clements, Clements, I don't want to mispronounce names, but I'm going to say Clements because I'm from North Carolina. Um, you obviously know him, know of him. Tell us a little bit about him. Break it down for Ross, Adam, John, and I and our listeners. And shout out to the 170-plus that are in here live with us now. Well, I, you know, I, I, think, he's, I think he's a good coach. Uh, you know, I, I got to see him uh, up close and personal running some practice down in Tallahassee. Uh, he had the misfortune of coaching – uh, in the Willie Taggart era in, in, at, at Florida state. So to some degree, uh, success was capped because, uh, the program as a whole and the practices were run very poorly, but I thought in terms of what he did in practice, it was run well. Uh, and he, uh, he, he's a good coach. Uh, I, I got a chance to, to get a, a, some sense of what he does in terms of how he teaches. And, and, uh, and actually I'll post some stuff up on the, uh, uh, via the inside Carolina premium board. I'll post up, uh, uh, some stuff in terms of, um, there's, there's some stuff out there where he explains some of what he does. Uh, but you know, he's, he's got his own distinctive ways of, of teaching certain things. And I think the way he drills his players is, is pretty consistent and pretty good. 
the players down there really liked him. Uh, the, the, the offensive line actually liked working with him. They said he was demanding and he wanted them to be physical, uh, but they, they, were, they, they felt like he was a good coach uh, and got the best out of him. Uh, but like I said, those, those offenses were bad. Uh, partly because of who he was coaching under. And they brought him and, uh, well, actually, the way that this worked, so to walk it back a little bit in terms of giving you a little history, uh, when Willie Taggart took over in uh, 2018, basically Florida State went from uh, under Jimbo Fisher in the last year under Jimbo Fisher. They only won seven games that year, but they were, I think, 12th in uh, F+. plus. In S&P Plus, they were in the same range. Uh, so they were a good football team overall. They just had some really bad luck and, and weren't able to pull out some games that they were in. The next year, they fell into like the 80s. And then they were in like the almost 100 range the year <laughs> following. So, you know, those two, those two years were just a precipitous fall. Uh, but offensively, they fell into the, like the hundreds from 2017 to 2018. And they brought Randy Clements in in 2019 with Kendall Bryles. And what they did is they hired Kendall Bryles as the offensive coordinator because it was obvious that Willie Taggart running his own offense was not going to not going to work, especially with that the, the group that they had on campus. So they brought in a hired gun. They brought in uh, Kendall Bryles, and Bryles would not take that job unless he came as a package deal with Randy. With Randy, that's that's the that was the only way he would take that job. Because they had an offensive line coach in place, Greg Fry, who's actually a good coach himself. He he's been he was at uh, at Duke uh, after that, uh, and he's a good offensive line coach. But they ended up terminating Greg Fry, and it was kind of a bad deal. Uh, they 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 did him wrong, I think. Honestly, uh, it was they they did did not do right by Greg Fry in how they handled that. Uh, but they did that because Kendall Bryles basically said, "I'm not coming unless I bring Randy." That's that's how uh, important Randy was to what Kendall thought he could do as an offensive coordinator, uh, because Randy basically worked as the run game coordinator for Kendall at, at, at that point. And he, he handled things up front and made sure that things ran, uh, that they ran the ball well. Uh, and then when Kendall went, you know, they got fired after that year uh, with along with Willie, Ta the whole Willie Taggart staff, basically uh, when Kendall went to Arkansas, uh, that that changed some things because, of course, at Arkansas, you've got Pittman who has his own ideas of how to run the football and what he wants to do in the running game. Uh, so that that pairing kind of ended at that point. But uh, but yeah, I mean, just in terms of how bad things were, Florida State ran, uh, averaged 2.79 yards per rush in 2018 with Willie Taggart as the uh, as the play caller and all of that. When they brought Randy Clements in along with Kendall Bryles the next year, uh, they averaged over a yard more per rush the next year. They went to 3.83 yards per rush with the same personnel, which uh, is a, a significant. I mean, that's it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a jump of over a quarter. I mean, that's almost a 30% jump in, in production in terms of running game production that uh, Randy Clements and, and Kendall Bryles brought that year. So, I, I mean, I, I think that that tells you a good bit about what he can do and what, uh, what he brings to the table in terms of being able to teach and develop at that, at that position. Ross, yeah, I was going Jason's to follow, but I'll save, I'll save mine for a later show. Go ahead, Ross. I'm sorry. Yeah. I think this is a, a cool question. If, if you could break this down, uh, Jason, uh, how uh, do you compare I, this hire to, to Stacey Shields or Jack Bignell? I mean, another thing in point, this is three O-line coaches in three years. 
Uh, so the current players are having to learn three different coaching styles, three different technique styles. You know, Big Nell was a big difference from Cyril's. We heard the players talk about Big Nell on, on pass protection, like to attack and like to kind of reset the line of scrimmage, which is different than what Cyril's taught. So this is another you know, opportunity for the, the offensive lineman to, to learn a di- whole different coaching scheme, whole different fundamentals. Yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think he's a lot closer to Bicknell than he is to Cyril's. Um, and philosophically speaking, I mean, he's, he's coming out of the Art Bryles uh, camp. And of course, you know, that comes with its own off the field baggage that, you know, is, uh, I'm not even going to address here. Uh, I, I think that'll be left for another time or for other folks to, to talk about. I'm just talking about the coaching hire and, you know, him as a person, he, you know, he, he's, he seems like, a, you know, he's, he's been really pleasant in the past. So, uh, you know, I have no, I, I don't have inside anything inside on the, on, on the off field stuff other than just, you know, brief interactions with him in the past. Uh, but I think in terms of the football side, you know, he's coming out of that Bryles sort of tree, uh, which tells you he's used to coaching spread stuff. So, I mean, in that sense, Mac is not changing where he wants to go there. And that's, I think that's, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but the Bryles tree, what they do, what they did running the football was interesting because they would spread the field big time. And, you know, they of course got well known for those super wide splits. But uh, the thing that, that, that Bryles offense really wants to do is they want to spread you and then absolutely pound you old school style up front. Uh, and they were, they were physical on the, on, on the offensive line. And a lot of that was Randy's style. Uh, the, the thing that they, that they did and that Randy emphasizes is in the running game, they want to get vertical displacement. So that's closer to what you're getting from Bicknell, where they want to actually move people vertically rather than just horizontally. A lot of, you know, spread offense type stuff. It's position blocking where you're getting, trying to get guys to move sort of horizontally along the line of scrimmage to create space. And then the other kind of philosophy on this from the offensive line uh, development side or how you, how you coach it is to try to get more vertical displacement, to move guys up the field a little bit. And that's where Randy Clements wants to go. He wants his guys to mash. Uh, and they, they ran a lot of power uh, and a lot of counter and, you know, some, and, and along with that, some duo, when they go a little bigger, they did that sometimes, but not that much, but uh, they ran a lot of power, a lot of counter, and then uh, some other similar gap type concepts that were really uh, core to them. And he wants to get that, get guys moving up field, be aggressive. He, you're, those of us who are going to get a chance to watch him in practice, we're going to hear him preach into his guys about that first step. He's big on first step. Your first step has to be just right. It's got to be right here, and it's got to be this quick. First step, which then allows you to have that great second step power, and you're going to hear first step, second step, and, and that, to me, is music to my ears. You all have heard me talk about that as something that I was really complaining about under Cyril's, that I didn't think they, they taught that well enough, and I didn't think they emphasized it well enough. And, uh, and, and I think that uh, that's something that you're going to see more of from, from Clement's that will build on what Bicknell did. Uh, I think they, they, they'll see a little bit more cut blocking on some stuff if, if his past is, uh, is, uh, is any indication. But I think overall he'll, he'll mix pretty well with what Bicknell did. Jason, quickly here before I think Adam has a question. Was, is Bryles and Kendall Bryles and Jeff Libby, do they, is, it more, is it more spread or, or air raid or a combination? I mean, obviously those are similar 
schemes, but is it <laughs> leech air raid or is it more of a spread? Okay, that's a good question. Is it, it, is it all the it, same? It, it, so I was in the room uh, with <laughs> with Kendall Bryles when someone referred to what they did as something like the air raid, and he his demeanor changed, and he kind of you could see like, yeah, we we don't run the air raid. <laughs> So uh, they, what the Bryles group did was very different from basically what everybody else did at all. It was more, um, it's more like spread and shoot. Uh, it's like, it, so they mixed kind of run and shoot principles with like uh, old school uh, single wing type principles. And the single wing stuff is what you, you go back to 2015. North Carolina fans remember playing Baylor, unfortunately, uh, in that in that game, and they went just straight single wing in that game, and just ran the quarterback and ran the running back out of that type of stuff. But what they would do is they would pair that kind of true power approach up front with out of the single wing with some vertical stuff and a lot of vertical choice type stuff, like what you'd get in the. Uh, in the uh, run and shoot. So it's a very different concept, much more kind of power uh, stuff than what you got in typical air raid. I do think that the Lincoln Riley tree or the Lincoln Riley fork of the air raid along with, with Longo sort of borrowed some of those principles to try to marry some of those things into the air raid, but, uh, but it's its own thing. And, you know, can they coach and is there crossover? Yes, but it's its own thing. It has its own sort of, run heavy power oriented aspect to it. Jason, I just wanted to ask you real quick, you know, when you saw the, the hire of, of Randy Clements today or the news come out, like what was just your immediate impression in terms of, did that, did that say to you, okay, I know who the offensive this where they're headed with this offensive coordinator. Cause obviously we're all, you know, looking for the clues to try to piece together. Like what, where did you go immediately when you, saw that well my first my first response was oh wow that's that's actually a pretty good hire he's a good coach uh and then the second thought was well that narrows it down (laughs) so I mean that that does tell you sort of what angle Mac Brown wants to take with this hire and what direction he wants to go it also tells you he wants to be physical uh and I think that's something that that you saw with the Bicknell hire is that he wanted to really move towards more physicality up front on that side of the ball. Uh, and so I think, I think that that tells you a lot, but yeah, I, there's like two or three guys that now I would say, okay, it's clearly in my view, it's probably one of those two to three guys uh, and not, you know, these three or four guys that were, that we'd, we'd talked about and you know had on, I'd seen on different hot lists and we had on our hot list and so on. Jason, let me jump in here, and I want to I want to find I want to find the question here, Ross. I'm gonna call out a question. Charlie Shaw asks in the chat, and we don't have to speak specifically to That's to the current question. hire and and any potential, but it just in general, right? Offensive coordinators won't control over who's on their staff. It's the same with defensive coordinators, um, but sort of the synergy between offensive line coach and an offensive coordinator. That's different even from, you know, the synergy between a running back coach or a wide receiver coach. And I mean, cause it all starts with the offensive line, right? Yeah. In a lot of ways. I mean, there are two different ways kind of of building your offense out. One is sort of quarterback out and the other is running game out. Uh, and 
the Bryles system is actually running game out, you know, and they sort of deal with quarterback stuff later. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, the, I think even in today's college, I think in today's college game, the synergy between the offensive line coach and the coordinator may be more important than ever uh, because so much, once you spread the field out, so much is dependent on being able to block one-on-one and being able to create some space in the running game with the, with the extra room that you've made in the box. And, and so, you know, there aren't that many really good offensive line coaches in the country. There are a lot of kind of middling coaches that, you know, kind of do musical chairs and they stay in the game because they're offensive line coaches and you got to have one, but you know, there's 10 or 12, 15 really good offensive line coaches that, you know, I, I, I can think of that, you know, if I were hiring, I'd go, yeah, you know, that's, that's one of those guys that I'd, I'd look for depending on the system that I'm looking for. I think Randy is one of those guys. Um, but yeah, there is a certain synergy that has to be there between what the offensive coordinator is doing and what the offensive line coach is doing, especially if you have an offensive coordinator that's more of a passing guy. So if you've got a, a, a Kendall Bryles who wants to work with quarterbacks, wants to work more with wide receivers, you'd better have a, a great offensive line coach who can handle the run game stuff on his own and be your sort of run coordinator to pair with that. And this gets back to something that I've talked about in terms of Carolina has really needed to have more emphasis on the inside run period in practice. Everybody does it, but how you emphasize it, how you teach it, how you coach it, how many periods you give it, that sort of thing matters. Uh, and if you're going to do that and you're going to have your coordinator working with the quarterback, the starting quarterback and the receivers over in Pascal over here, you'd better have an offensive line coach or you know someone who's your offensive uh, run game coordinator who can run that aspect of practice for you and really make sure that it fits with everything you're trying to do and that they, that they get the physicality and the identity of your team in that part of practice. You cannot do it without that. And certain offensive coordinators, once they get with certain offensive line coaches, there's a trust developed to say, look, if I'm going to go somewhere, it's got to be with one of these guys. And offensive line uh, coaches work with coordinators in the same way. Like I know, I know I can work with this guy and philosophically we're aligned. So, yeah. All right. Quickly, Jason, let's get the names. What, what are the four names that you, you think they're going to go? Let's get some names oh, out of you. Jeez. Oh, for um, and we got to get you out of here. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the first names of course is Jeff Levy, um, who is uh, he, he was at, uh, at OU. Another is the coach that he was just coaching with which would make a lot of sense, who was just at North Texas. And that's uh, – uh, his name is not all of a sudden Luttrell. escaping me, which it shouldn't – Seth Luttrell. Uh, and he was probably the first one where it's like, well, geez, I mean, familiar with North Carolina. You know, he got those North Carolina ties, has had a lot of success in Chapel Hill, just coached with Randy Clements and, you know, had a successful offense there, even though they got fired as a staff. That one's a really natural one. So Levy would, Levy, uh, would be sort of 1A on my list there that I would think about. Then, uh, then Latrell uh, would be number two, and then I'm trying to think of who the number three was, and it's escaping me. But uh, those two would be the first two that I would think, like, okay, well, that they, they're probably in play at this point. Interesting Kendall take. Kendall Browse is well, another yeah, one. Yeah, Kendall. I mean, if you're gonna, I mean, that's if you think you can pull him away from Arkansas, where he's had you know some success and all of that, and 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 
I, I would I, I would be surprised if he left there for anything but a head job, a head coaching job right now. But yeah, he would be number three, obviously, and actually would be number one if you thought you could get it. Uh, and and Kendall's yeah, and then, really really bright. I'm not sure why Jeff. I mean Jeff Levy leave his alma mater Oklahoma in the first yeah. year there too. Yeah, I'd be surprised there too. So stretch. you know, yeah, the most natural one is the guy he was just coaching with, and you know, and that that would make a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, those those guys just in terms of connections and contacts would be the first ones that I would think about. Let's get Jason Staples out of here. Jason, appreciate you joining On The Beat Live, your first appearance on On The Beat Live. But always oh, it's a not pleasure. the first. I've been on here. Just not, really? not, since Adam, not since Adam and producer John came on. I was on here last year. Not so. with this lineup. Yeah, not with yeah, this yeah. lineup. Not with this lineup. Well, it's a whole us, new. Jason. We really appreciate it. Yeah, this is uh, – and, and I'll, I just want to reiterate, I think this is – as, as far as on-field stuff and, you know, the other stuff is, you know, its own thing, this is a good hire. Good deal. Jason Staples, of course, Doc Staples, certainly expert for Inside Carolina. Jason, I have a feeling we'll be talking again soon, brother. Real quick. We'll see you shortly. Uh, let's get back to On the Beat. So, what did we learn, guys? We learned that he was gonna... Clements is a great – is a good to great hire for North Carolina. What do you think, Ross? Oh, I thought Jason was going to say something about us. Like, he was like, I think it's a really good, you know, group of, you know, y'all got a good lineup here, but he was just talking about the hire. Uh, we learned, we learned that Jason's a talker, reaffirmed. Adam, I think Adam got in a total of 10 words during the last 25 minutes. Well, I just wanted to be. And John, I don't think John said a word. I mean, Speaking of words, I, I think one thing that's interesting, one word that Jason Staples did not stay during that whole 15-minute segment, Drake May. He didn't mention Drake May at all. You have a Heisman hopeful at quarterback. There was some talk that you know they would build the offense around Drake May, go pro style to support. It doesn't sound like they're doing any of that, which it's not good or bad. It's just interesting that Drake May's name wasn't mentioned. You mentioned Drake May, the ACC Player of the Year, Johnny Johnny Bowman. Um, Ross and I heard today that uh, Drake has been involved in this interview process for the OC, um, which, I mean, I don't think is shocking. But, uh, you know, knowing Drake as we do, the, you know, the younger May brother, the goofball that he can be, and it's kind of interesting to think of him sitting you know, at a table with some accomplished guy who's been to bowl games and all this stuff. And, you know, but that's what we heard. And I think we, I think that was one that we, we trusted that he's been involved and why wouldn't you have him involved uh, with mm -hmm. the guy who's going to be coaching you um, this coming season, which, you know, it's probably going to determine where you go in the NFL draft and so many other things. I'm yeah. I mean, I think you've got right, go ahead, find some questions and drop them in there, but you've got yeah. um, a unicorn, for North Carolina football and Drake May, he better be involved. He better have some sort of – he doesn't have to have a right of first refusal, but he needs to be involved because what he's done for North Carolina on a national scale, I mean, nobody in that building has before he got there as far as um, you know, making Carolina relevant, talking about Heisman trophies and, and things like that. I, I mean – I'd, I'd give him the keys and say, pick who you want. But that's just my uneducated, not mattering guess from the message boards, I suppose. What you got, Ross? You got any questions you're going to throw up? Well, I just saw that Rico Walker committed to Maryland. Uh, recruited by Gunnar Brewer. Just a little note there. 
uh, former UNC commit. Yeah, so this question I thought was interesting. Just I'll do a rapid fire here. Everybody can just chime in real quickly here. So what do we think about this? Why OC first? That means OC has decided. We kind of touched on that earlier. It's a great question. Like, is it decided? Is OC decided? Is it not decided? You know, why? Why do OL first? I don't know. Any takes on that? I personally think it has to be decided that those two are that those two are paired together now. And I saw somebody so why announce why announce one and not the other. I saw somebody mention it in the chat, and it was it's my thought too. I don't know if it was Slagle or Tyler Woods or one of our uh, Spirit Award winners over here. Um, that I mean, you know, if it's if it's Kendall Bryles, if it's the OC is Kendall Bryles, that you could be floating Clements out there. First is like a trial balloon to see what the reaction would be to you know the Bryles the Bryles hire. Um, I, I don't know. Is that smart? What's that? You think UNC is that smart, <laughs> or plays those, or even plays those kind of games? I, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I I that I mean that that's a theory I would have. You know, like a trial balloon. But I don't know that that's it. You know, that's just my that's just the thought. I, with uh, uh, we just like I with all the Bryce. Go ahead, yeah. Ross. With all the what? That's 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 interesting. With all the Bryles stuff, the Bryles baggage. We'll call it the Bryles baggage. That's well, I mean that that's debatable. Um, the name certainly, um, but you know that, that the the quote unquote baggage is debatable there. But hey, I mean you figure out who's running the ship and who's important when uh, things. Uh, Brett Brett Calcutt, Latrell, and Chiswick were great together. Um, I don't think we talk a lot about complimentary football and all that stuff. And, and that did seem to work for what, 2015, 2016. Um, you know, I, I just think, and I'll ask you guys this, we talked a lot about this and Adam, I, I'm going to put you on the hot seat first. This, this, this notion that the offense is to blame for how the defense has been. I'm kind of torn. Cause you know, when I first heard it, I said, uh, I hear you EC Keller. <laughs> Um, I like sitting in the back seat sometimes. I, when I first heard it, I said, yeah, that, that's got to be the explanation, explanation, right, for Chiswick's defense to be just brutally terrible. Um, but then the more I heard and then I listened to Buck Sanders, I mean, come on. You can't be bad because somebody else. We talk about accountability all the time, right, Adam? Tommy, what is your question? I don't know what you're saying. Wait. <laughs> What this is what I do. I ask open-ended questions that gives you a, a That's plausible denality. Are we are... – Somebody mentioned Latrell and Chiswick were very good together. Okay. Does that matter that an OC and a DC mesh? Oh, you're talking opinion? about the complimentary football, which would, yeah. I think, be on the Tommy Ashley bingo card if we had one. Complimentary football, baby. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, it, it'd be great if everything meshed together. You know, uh, I, I – I'm sorry. I started thinking when you were talking about that of some of the people that Ross and I have talked to uh, have been down on Mac for what they uh, deem to be criticism of Phil Longo's offense. Um, now I'm not saying they're right. I'm just telling you in terms of a pulse of some of the, some of the people, uh, some of the power brokers that we've talked to uh, didn't like, uh, you know, sort of Max. I don't know if coddling of the defense is the right way to say. Maybe I'm saying it too 
strongly, but sort of max nurturing of the defense with some of the struggles they had defensively and then sort of uh, putting some of the blame on the offensive's feet there later in the season when they sort of hit the skids a little bit. Um, but sure, I mean, like to your Latrell Chiswick question, that, they'd be great. Um, you know, why not? Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, but uh, sure, why not? All right. All smart. I mean, Dude, Johnny, I got I got to get a Johnny T-shirt. No, you got it. Andrew. I got it. No Blue Shark Vodka. No Blue Shark Vodka, so I'll do Johnny nah, T-shirt deals. and JohnnyT-shirt.com. Deal's up. We're done with Blue Shark. Yeah, the show calling the shots is done last episode. The no free ads. <laughs> okay. Well, I just have to get rid of that. I'm not going to pour it out. Johnny T-shirt, JohnnyT-shirt.com. Yep. <laughs> No, that's interesting. You're right. Nothing free on uh, on the beat live here. But Johnny T-shirt and Johnny T-shirt dot com's not free, but they give you ten percent off if you're on. Excuse me, if you're inside Carolina Premium subscriber, um, picked up some great Christmas gifts there just today. Sent sent Junior shout out to the tailgate crew. Sent Junior to Johnny T-shirt to get some business done, and he got some great deals and used the Inside Carolina Premium uh, message board code to save ten percent. So. Take care of them. They take care of us. They're inside Carolina friends. They're friends. They're alums. They're owned. Whatever you need to say superlative about Johnny T-shirt, you can say it. Shop them right here before Christmas. They need your support. National guys will pay the bills. It's on the beat live. We're going to switch to basketball. So if you still want to talk football, check us out later in the week. I'm sure we'll be back. But basketball after the break. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers. Whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit... It's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, 
every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, boys, 942. Are we going to basketball fully? Is everybody cool with that? Adam Smith did. I'll ask a distinct question. I'm sorry, Tommy. Tommy, I'm I love sorry. it. I'm I'm not I'm not sensitive. Some are. I'm not. Uh, I did Carolina. Hear you Tur- right. It's on me. It's did me. Carolina turn? It's not you. It's me. Did Carolina turn a corner with these last two wins, or did they, did they just beat bad teams? And look, yes and yes, <laughs> yes and yes. There's Expound. your answers. They beat two bad teams that I don't. I don't think either Georgia Tech or uh, neither neither nor. I don't think neither nor Georgia Tech nor the Citadel are going to make the NCAA tournament. God bless Josh Pasner. Um, but I mean, I think that uh, and Ross was there last night. He he performed wonderfully. I was able to go to uh, my son's band concert, middle school holiday winter band concert, and I can't thank him enough for running the show last night. He did a fine job. I was very proud of him. I was watching Tyler Nickel videos come across the feed last night. Mm, shoot or shoot is what T. Nick said. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I just think that uh, these two games, it's just a two-game little stop at home. You know, they're playing twice. UNC plays twice at home between this November 21st and January 3rd. Just two games. Uh, it's kind of wild. Um, we like to bang on the football scheduling. Uh, the basketball schedule has been brutal this year. It's a challenge, and um, but I think I think everything that has happened these two games at home has been good and productive and positive and what they needed, and they needed to get their confidence back. And they are, in my opinion, playing better despite the competition. And now we've got Ohio State and Michigan coming before the the ACC slate. I don't know. Jump in there, Ross. What what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean. Siddle is not good, but it's a confidence builder. You saw Caleb Love knock down some threes. You saw, you know, Amana Baycott seems healthy, uh, back-to-back double-doubles, I believe. So getting him healthy and the rest of it is good. You've gotten a little deeper now with with Tyler Nickel contributing um, as an offensive scorer. Jalen Washington playing a little more. You know, it was really good to see Dontrez Styles play. Came in, hit a three, dunk, um, scored nine points in six uh, nine points in like six, 16 minutes. You know, he hadn't scored this season. I don't know if you knew that, but um, that was kind of crazy. You know, you thought he'd be a rotational player this year. Puff Johnson didn't play in the second half. So it's kind of interesting how this uh, rotation is going to go moving forward. For some reason, Huber gets mad at Puff, and, like, Puff doesn't play after his first couple – couple you know times in the game. Tommy? I was going to ask you all that. Puff has a tendency to get in Hubert's doghouse. I mean, it's it's what happens. And watching him play against Alabama, was it Alabama? Yeah, yeah it was Alabama. 48 minutes against Alabama. 48. I was like, this is one of the dudes that is busting his tail. I mean, his steal there at half court um, or getting on the loose ball should have won that game. And then he's just like going on the back of a milk carton. Uh, I mean, what, what gives yeah. there, Ross? I don't know. He had, he missed two shots um, early against Citadel. I mean, he only scored one point. Um, he's minus five. Not many people were, were minus plus. Not many people were uh, minus in the plus or minus section when you when you win by uh, what thirty three. Uh, but he was minus five. I don't know. I don't know what he does. I mean, he missed two shots and he was pulled out and played seven minutes and didn't see the court. And he has a tendency to just kind of go with you know the hot hand. And, and Nickel was making some shots and then Don Trez was 
grab a bunch of rebounds and, and he leaned on those guys. Um, so yeah, definitely a get right game against the Citadel and Georgia Tech. I think get right game for Georgia Tech. That was a title in my instant analysis, one of the uh, subtitles. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's all I got. I don't know. The story Dude, for me last night was Caleb Love. I thought it was very interesting how he played. I have a stat too for this percentage of possessions used. That's the percentage of uh, possessions when you're on the court that either ends in a uh, sh- made a shot, missed a shot that isn't re- rebounded by the offense or committing a turnover. Caleb Love's percentage of possessions used last night was 16%. He's only had one game in his career that's lower than that. That was UNC Asheville last season. So what does that tell me? Caleb Love was maybe experimenting, trying out a little bit. What what does it look like if I pass the ball a little bit more? What does it look like if I take less shots? He still had a great offensive night. His offensive rating yesterday was 185. That's his highest of the season. He had 17 points. He shot the ball pretty well from three. So that was the biggest story to me, watching Caleb Love experiment with a little bit less ball-dominant shooting style and, and really starting to assist more. I think those got, guys got the got the memo after shooting 60 times against Alabama. And UNC has gotten, again, we know who they've played here the last two games, but they've gotten their sort of their appetite for rebounding back. Um, and that, that has so much to do with Armando just being out there. I mean, him not playing against Virginia Tech, you saw the difference with Justin Mutz attacking the cup uh, time after time. But, you know, I, I just think that the, the well, they were plus 21, I believe, rebounding against Georgia Tech, their best differential of the season. They out-rebounded the Citadel as they should have. Um, but, you know, there's a comment that Armando made after the Georgia Tech game where he said that, Watching the Virginia Tech game, and he's like, and I'm not just saying this, <laughs> like, you know, like qualified it. I'm not just saying this to be saying it. Uh, reminded him of the different ways that he can get his points in terms of just a straight rim run. You know, uh, all, the opposing team misses a shot, just run to the rim and pin your guy under there, which we saw him do uh, the last couple games. And, um, you know, I think, uh, I think there are some things that you've seen around the basket too that have been that have been promising for UNC these last couple games. Now we'll see what happens with Ohio state in the garden and Michigan uh, down in Charlotte. Yeah. They need to, they need to win one of these. Um, All big you know, they need, they need a big win. You know, both those I think would qualify as just a significant win. What I think Ohio state's better than Michigan, right? Adam, is that kind of your research? They're ran- I mean, they're what 23rd, I think they stole yeah. one against Rutgers. I don't know if every, the people, they definitely <laughs> stole it. That game ended. That was unbelievable. Um, but, but they're Michigan has had a couple bad losses, but they, you know, it's Michigan. Yeah, it's kind of funny. He's playing you know, two rivals, I say Michigan and back to back games. Um, but they need one of those. They need a, a big kind of confidence booster win against a significant team. And then it's, you know, it's ACC play Pittsburgh um, shortly after the bowl game. Um, and then it's just right into the ACC slate. I had the schedule. Lake, I believe, up. is the first game after yeah. New Year's. Pittsburgh yeah. was December 30th in Wake Forest and Chapel Hill. Uh, January fourth. So, um, Adam will be up there covering the um, the Buckeyes versus Tar Heels. Should be a good one. Adam going to this big city from Madison. Going to big city. Can I can I find where Madison Square Garden is? Anybody know the address? Uh, I'll give you I'll give you all the tips, Adam. Oh, that's I'll, right. I'll Bowman was up there. Mm-hmm. We just had Bowman's crib. Yeah. What was that at? 
What was that, Ross? I said, are those new glasses, Adam? No. Uh, I have had them for a couple months, Ross. Thank you for noticing. <laughs> I think we were all Thank like, you. what? What? Yeah, I was confused. Actually, Ross, I got these the day before your surgery for your torn pec. When I called oh, you to wish you wish you well, I was coming home from there. Can we get a pec update, Ross? Is it all good now? Back to normal? I'm still doing PT. I've got to work on my external rotation, internal rotation. But I've been cleared for most everything. But it's still really tight. They screw that thing in so your muscle is super tight. Um, but, yeah, I had PT today with Mindy Kim. Shout out Mindy Kim. She's my physical therapist over to speaking ATI. Of, speaking a of ATI Kim, PT. Jonathan Kim committed to Michigan State. Did I see that? Yeah. Carolina Carolina transfers committing to bigger schools or, or big schools. Uh, talk, back talking about basketball just briefly. Uh, Ross, you mentioned it, and I want to ask you this. <clears throat> They've got to win these next two games, it, it, at least one of them, but they need both of them, right? Because they're going to be in the exact same situation as they were last year, having to win 15 games in the conference, including beating Duke at Duke, um, to get in the tournament. Uh, I mean, I think you're in you're, – you're nearing my – quote must win situation right here right yeah i think losing both of them would be devastating just like because then you'd have the the four straight losses on on the road you know these are all neutral these are all neutral court games and they had the, the two losses on the road um in portland indiana and virginia tech i mean you've got to i think splitting them would be okay um but losing two i think would be a big hit yeah you need those this quad one and two wins which these might be um, and you just need some momentum. Like they gotta get, gotta have some confidence. I think that's the biggest thing. Like yeah. zero and two would just be devastating. If you lose these next two games, Ohio State and Michigan, then your best non-conference win would be, I think, James Madison or Charleston. And yeah, that's not Charleston. good enough for a team that came in preseason ranked number one um, mm-hmm. with with all the expectations there. You expect more out of this team. So I I agree. I think splitting these next two games should be the expectation that gives you a much better resume on paper, and then you head into conference play and you sort of go from there. The one notable win that Carolina had in the non-conference last season was Michigan in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. They played great that game. Um, And, you know, Armando knows Hunter Dickinson from way back in the Northern Virginia AAU circles, you know, the big guy from Michigan that kind of looks like Wolverine himself. You know, they, they go way back. They got a middle. I remember Armando saying after the game last year, it felt like we were playing out in the park in middle school, is what he said about Hunter Dickinson. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you lose to Ohio State Saturday, you are right back in the same situation you were last year where you're, you, you need to beat Michigan. And then, and then, like Tommy said, I mean, you play 20 ACC games, you might end up needing to go 15 and five in the ACC. Yeah, making it difficult uh, when you drop. Now, Alabama's turned out to be pretty good. Uh, right. But they had that game won. Iowa State. Yeah. Iowa State's They're right there. They're right there. I mean, it's like losing Georgia Tech. Those two wins would have been very useful, uh, Iowa State and Alabama. It's like losing Georgia Tech, man. You could have easily beat Georgia Tech. You had it right there. You could have beat Alabama. You're right there in football versus basketball. But, you know, there's only a – it's binary. It's a win and a loss. Real quick, Don. I agree 100%. And, you know, there's no ACC tournament to get ready for um, that you won three weeks before, either in basketball, you got to keep winning. You can't say, "Well, we're still playing an ACC championship after we lose to Iowa State or or Alabama or whatever." Go ahead, John. I'm Real quick on on Armando, <laughs> has he turned into the sneaky best quote on the team? He's he's had a couple good ones already this year. I've liked he was a 
he compared himself to the garbage man at one point, I believe. Adam, you just referenced a quote that he did last year. Is he the best quote, most entertaining listen uh, interview-wise? I don't know what Ross would say. I love Armando. I like talking to Caleb and R.J. Davis. Um, you know, no offense to Pete Nance, but he's he will give you the party line, uh, and he's uh, so upbeat. You know, he doesn't want to kind of badmouth anybody, which I can understand. He just got there. But, um, you know, Leaky can be good too, but we haven't talked to Leaky much. I don't know what, what Ross would say. What about Tyler Nickel, Ross? He's got the best voice, man. I was listening to it today just on YouTube. <laughs> just about to tweet something out. He is, his voice is unbelievable. It's so interesting. Yeah, best quotes, Baycott. He's, he's so comfortable with us now. He's joking around all the time. He told somebody last night that he's like best buddies with Michael Jordan, texts him all the time. And then he was just he was just effing with us the whole time. It was just ridiculous. Um, he was saying one day that uh he said, like, hey, I understand why the fans are mad. I get pissed off at the Philadelphia Eagles all the time. Like he was talking about the Carolina fan base being mad. He's like, I get it. I yell at the yeah. TV all the time. You combine his personality with four years and kind of having gone through it all, like, you know, that's that is the perfect combination for a good quote and kind of comfortability with the media. Um, still, yeah. still remember talking to him way back in 19 at the Bahamas, Ross, when we were there covering the battle for Atlantis. I mean, seems forever ago. What we got left, right. gentlemen? I think that's it. We should, uh, yeah. we should give a, a quick, quick shout out to our friend on Twitter. Uh, I didn't see him in the chat tonight, but Garrett Chapman uh, hooked us all up. So thank you, Garrett. Shout out. And, uh, you know, he, he helped us out with the codes and, and the North Face jackets. So uh, appreciate you, Garrett. Yeah, he, uh, he, that's right. We, uh, we did not expound on the uh, events of last week, um, but shout out to him for helping everybody get, yeah. get right. Yeah, I'm glad too, Slagle. Slagle, we were worried about you last week. I thought Slagle had entered the transfer portal. But we see him back this week. So thank you, Slagle, for listening. And to all of our listeners, it looks like 200 in here tonight. Thank you. Yep. Shout out to folks for joining us. Be, be on the lookout for any emergency pods we might have. Um, plenty of stuff, recruiting stuff always going on, basketball and football. And Taylor Vipolis' stuff is always great. I, I do want to mention one thing. Next Level, Greg Barnes and I recorded with Adrian Atkinson, of course, the stats guru, uh, big brain stuff like, above my level of knowledge we had a next level we did with him earlier it's up on the site i'm going to ask uh john siegley to drop that audio on the back side of this so check that out with adrian atkinson the dude is always bringing the numbers behind the scenes and, and what makes north carolina basketball tick or not tick guys i'm gonna get us out of here short of 10 o'clock we get out three minutes early it's like getting out of class early it's been On The Beat Live, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. That's Adam Smith. That's Ross Martin, John Bowman. I've been Tommy Ashley. I still am Tommy Ashley, and this has been On The Beat Live. Peace. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome in to Inside Carolina's Next Level. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. Other host, Greg Barnes, you see on the screen. This is two or three months in, Greg. It seems like it's flown by, and we've had some interesting guests so far. We've got another good one today, don't we? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think Adrian Atkinson has, has done a lot for North Carolina fans over the, I don't know, what, Adrian? Two decades, pretty much? Yeah, almost 20 years now. Yeah, uh, really kind of breaking down where North Carolina is having success, where they're struggling, uh, where guys thrive, where they have weaknesses, and it really brings a, a different level uh, to kind of understanding what, what North Carolina basketball is about. And so, uh, yeah, Tommy, it's it's great to have Adrian on. Uh, this is our this is our first basketball show, so I think we're we're getting uh, getting into the uh, the fun part of the year. Uh, still a little bit of overlap. Got a bowl game to go for the football team, but uh, now that North Carolina is through exam week, got some big games coming up. Uh, now we can really turn our attention fully to, to basketball. Absolutely. Adrian Atkinson, of course, on Inside Carolina uh, UNC Basketball Premium message boards is Adrian Atkinson on Twitter at Freeport Kid. Listen, folks, uh, and I said this off the air with these guys. These guys, two guys here are the numbers gurus for Inside Carolina. I'm just, I watch, and I'm, I'm a feel guy, a gut guy. Adrian and Greg can bring the numbers. So I'm going to get Adrian. I'm going to get you in right away. And I mentioned the tweet earlier um, and the discussion it brought to the Inside Carolina message board. So I'm going to start with it. And I'm going to let you sort of talk about, um, first thing, how you got to be so brilliant to do these numbers, but then break down the Caleb Love tweet. Start with yourself first, and then let's move into Caleb Love. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've always kind of been a numbers guy. You know, I've always been a huge sports fan. I read the Bill James abstracts growing up and, you know, uh, used to kind of sort of baseball, which was bigger. You know, I grew up in the, the 80s and 90s and the basketball kind of analytics hadn't really, you know, uh, Dean Oliver hadn't written basketball on paper, on paper yet, which was kind of a revolutionary book that started that whole movement. But yeah, I used to play Stratomatic and, you know, do all kinds of nerdy stuff that involves sports and uh, numbers. And I was an economics major in college and did a lot of, you know, quantitative stuff. I, I'm a data scientist in my day job. So I've, I've always been around data and numbers and I've always loved basketball. So that's just kind of the way I approach, you know, when I watch the game, I kind of think about it from that kind of quantitative or analytical perspective. So it was kind of like a natural way to combine those two things I'm pretty passionate about. And like Greg was saying, I've been charting the Carolina games for almost 20 years now. And that's just, you know, I'll kind of, I'll just watch when the game's live. I'll just kind of watch it like a fan, but then I'll go back and break down the recording kind of frame by frame, almost, you know, rewinding it a bunch and, you know, like all the different lineup combinations, you know, where the shots are taken, how well contested they are, you know, come up with like a defensive box score, assigning like credit and blame and, you know, all kind you know, how the set Carolina runs, uh, you know, how many passes there are, how late in the shot clock it goes you know, collecting all that data, putting it in a database, and then kind of, you can kind of play with numbers and 
look at different splits and break it down based on all that data you collect. So I've been doing that for, I, I guess, since the 2005 season. Wow. I, yeah, I jump right into deep end with the Caleb Love deal, but I want to stay here for a second. I, my brothers played Stratomatic baseball when I was little. I grew up in the 70s and 80s and 90s, and I guess 2000s, still growing up. Um, but I always found it fascinating. And folks that in your position that that do this stuff always started with baseball because you're right, the, the numbers. And, and I'm a little bit of a mixed uh, bag when it comes to the analytics of baseball because I don't like the shift. You know, I don't like stuff that they've changed the game. Um, so that's fascinating to hear you talk about it. Um, and it's definitely big brain stuff. I wish I knew you when I was at Carolina because economics 10, mm -hmm. the basic one, man, that changed my life and not for the good. Uh, it was a rough time, Greg. I know you're smart with numbers too. Economics 10, I um, hated it, hated that place. And uh, so it's good to have smart folks on the show. So let me ask you, let me get back to my first question. Is Caleb Love on the court and off the court? Break it down for us um, and break it down why it's relevant to this team. And then I sort of want to lead that discussion into a, of, of the expectations coming in um, because I think Caleb Love's improvement in all aspects of the game was a big part of the renewed expectations for this season. Uh, yeah, the tweet itself was – Carolina has been 10 points better per 100 possessions offensively with love on the floor, but defensively they've been 30 points per 100 worse with love on the court. So overall they're getting outscored by 20 points per 100 and a typical game has like 70 possessions. So they're getting like outscored by 15 points a game, maybe with love on the court. And, you know, on Twitter, there's not a lot of nuance, you know, it's 180 characters or whatever it is now. So, and I always have like the caveat of small sample size. It's only 10 games. Love plays 36 minutes a game. So he's hardly ever off the court. So, I mean, take that number with like a huge grain of salt. But anytime you have that big of a, you know, a 30 point difference is huge on the defensive end. So, I mean, there probably is something there. And when I do my defensive charting, Love has consistently been near the bottom this year in terms of like stop percentage and, you know, just allowing you know, whoever he's guarding the, the score, you know, more than he's getting defensive stops. So, I mean, it, it's consistent with, I think, the eye test and some other more quantitative things. So, yeah, that's an interesting, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people overreacted and said, you know, Caleb Love is obviously very important. We need him on the court. And I wasn't trying to say Love should not play or replace him in the starting lineup. The team is obviously better offensively with Love. The numbers reflect that. But then it's like, what's going on in the defensive end, right? So it's just – I'll go ahead, Greg. No, I, was, I, was gonna say, I think Caleb Love um, is probably a perfect test case for uh, statisticians like yourself just because um, there's so much that he can do well when he's on. And when he's not on, there's a lot that can go wrong. Um, is, is there any way to – quantify kind of his value and what i mean by that is everybody's seen the games where i mean granted the championship game he was injured so that changes a little bit but he missed 19 shots in that game yet carolina doesn't get to that game if he doesn't have a you know, what i thought was probably the best half of basketball i've ever seen in the second half against ucla in the sweet 16 
And then, of course, hitting one of the biggest shots in Carolina history against Duke in the Final Four game. Is there, from your perspective, is there kind of a way to quantify his value, knowing that his his ups are so high and his lows are so low? Yeah, that's a good question. And obviously, you can do like, I mean, clutch is like kind of a controversial thing. Sure. In, and like people say, there aren't really clutch players. But I mean, you can do things kind of descriptively, right? You can do like win probability added kind of things. Say this player might not be clutch, but he's done all these clutch things. And you can kind of tell the story like he's added five wins based on these plays, you know, these clutch shots he's made. So that's one way to look at it. Uh yeah, and like what you're saying is more of like kind of a ceiling versus floor, or like, you know, having Caleb Love on the team raises the team's ceiling. You know, he's capable of having these really huge games. So that's harder to quantify, I think, or that's more of a maybe more of a gut thing. But even even when he's missing those 19 shots or, you know, having his gravity or, you know, his scoring presence on the court is valuable. You know, he's not somebody that you can he's still he's still getting those defensive eyeballs. He's getting a lot of defensive attention to open things up for other people. So just having a guy like that who's capable of going off for 30 points or, you know, knocking down five shots in a row, even when he's cold on a given night or stretch of a game, having him on the court is valuable because of the defensive attention he draws. So there is like some, you know, some qualitative or, you know, it's hard to measure, but it's kind of an inherent value that he brings. Yeah. The, one thing I think about when I think about Caleb um, is I know for, for years, it seemed like um, statisticians kind of dismissed the idea of, of the hot hand, right? And that when you look over the course of a massive sample size, it really doesn't work. It's kind of like the, you know, if you if you flip a coin hundred times, there's going to be stretches where you you land on tails ten times in a row. They've kind of moved away from that, though, haven't they? In terms of being able to say, okay, it actually is kind of a real thing now. Yeah, I mean, they, I still there's still some back and forth in that yeah. in the literature, but yeah, there there have been some some researchers who have said it's we can actually find it in the data, and it, it's you know it's confounded by you know, when guys get hot, they take kind of those heat check shots. So if you're not controlling for quality of the shot or like openness of the shot. And I mean, they've done it like just on foul shots and like, you know, in a, in a, in a practice or gym setting where it's, you know, taking a hundred foul shots in a row, it's a very, it's like a lab controlled setting, but in games, there's all kinds of confounders that are hard to control for. Yeah. Tommy, that stuff, that stuff is fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I said off the air I was going to just get out of the way um, and, and let you guys talk about it because, like I said, it is way too big brain for me. I do want to talk about your article, Adrian, on Inside Carolina's premium board um, from – I don't even know today. Yeah, we're recording on Wednesday, so yesterday. <laughs> Time is flying, especially with the holidays. Just sort of talk about the shot selection article you put up there and, and sort of how – um, you broke it down. I mean, some great stats in here. And, and you mentioned gravity. And, and that's and that's an interesting point um, because we talked a lot about that on Game Plan Podcast and on other football podcasts about Josh Downs' gravity for everybody else. So just sort of go into that a little more maybe for the basketball crowd that maybe hasn't heard that term enough. You do use it in the article talking about Brady Manick. And, and I think that is – I don't know if we can measure that. Um his impact last year um, 
in any other way other than saying they went to a championship game after looking very similar to that they look right now. But sort of speak to the shot selection, how you came down to that, and we'll get into that a little more. Yeah, I mean, gravity is – I mean, I like Steph Curry's like the kind of conical example of a, a guy who just – even when he doesn't have the ball, he's moving without the ball, he's drawing defensive eyeballs, and, you know, he's just totally shifting – the way an offense can play. And Manic, I mean, Manic's no Steph Curry, but he was the kind of a no-catch guy. You can't hop off of him. And he was always just a threat. And, I mean, a lot, like, Huber Davis obviously has a modern system in terms of spacing, but spacing is just kind of like a formation. You know, it's where guys line up. There's always, there's usually a guy in each corner, so you have, like, kind of optimal spacing. But spacing and gravity are kind of correlated, but it's not like, you can have, ideal spacing but if you have leaky black in a corner and, and puff in a corner you know you still have defenders cheating in on armando so you don't really get the spacing you i mean you're spaced but you're not you don't have the gravity in those corners so it, you need the right personnel you need the right system like and like roy's old systems didn't always have ideal spacing but when they had the right mix of personnel they had enough gravity i think or enough threats on the court that they were able to get the spacing they wanted. Uh, as it relates to shot selection, well, I, mean, I guess uh, that's just kind of a metric I, you know, I measure shot selection based on how open a shot is. Obviously, in analytics, it's like, you know, free throws, layups, and three-pointers are kind of like the holy grail of shot selection. It's not saying, like, never take mid-range shots, but it's saying these are, like, relatively low percentage opportunities and Carolina's been taking a ton of them this year, you know, especially the starting guards, their mid range or way up from last year, you know, as a function of total shots. So that's something I wrote about in the article. Yeah. Folks need to check that out. Um, it's good stuff. Uh, I mean, I remember Rick Patino staying, God, I guess back in 95 when he had Kentucky rolling that the worst shot on the court was a 19 foot two. And, and um, that sort of goes to your your discussion of non. That was controversial two. back then, Tommy. I know people were fired up about it. He was like, either shoot a free th uh, three pointer or dunk it, and nothing else in between. And Carolina certainly has got a, got some guys that fall into the non close two quote unquote guy. Go ahead, Greg, because like I said, big brand stuff. I'm getting well. Let's 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 take a, a step back, Adrian, and kind of take a kind of a big picture here. When when just looking at some of the the Kim Palm stats uh you comparing this year to last year there's a lot of similarities which shouldn't be a surprise i mean it's the it's basically the same system and most of the same parts um just kind of want to get your your opinion on you know, where, where have things uh improved maybe as you would expect them to from year to year and where maybe have they not because one of the you know two things that really stand out to me one being uh that the team is not rebounding the ball uh, comparatively as well as they did last year, really on both ends. And then, of course, uh, everybody made the big deal about Carolina doing such a good job against the Citadel in terms of assists and made baskets. That was a good thing, uh, but they're still kind of well below where they were last year. And I think right now they're 306th nationally in assists to made field goals, which is for a North Carolina team just seems uh, out of bounds. Yeah, like you said, it looked it looked way better yesterday. It looked way better against Georgia Tech. So I think they're moving in the right direction there. 
I guess one of the big kind of X's and O's changes they made was having Baycott be a rim runner again. They were doing a lot of secondary drag, like transition drag screens where they weren't having, you know, in the traditional Carolina Roy Williams style is you have that, you have that rim running big, you know, every time he's spraying to the front of the rim and then you've got a trail big who comes down, you can play high, low and swing on the perimeter and look for that entry pass. And they had gotten away from that for the first seven or eight games. We're using a lot of drag screens or just getting into like their half court sets. So they weren't really playing through Armando or looking to get those early post-ups, but now they're doing that. And I think that kind of gives, you know, when, when you're setting that early ball screen, it kind of puts the onus on the guards right away to they make that read. And sometimes it's an early shot. So, I mean, it's, but you're not really, your, your mentality is not really, let's try to feed the post or let's move the ball around the perimeter and try to get a post entry. And I think the last two games, they've been doing a lot of that. And I mean, that's really, that's really going to help with the assist numbers, I think. It's just to have that more inside out. You know, Huber talks about it a lot. We want to be an inside out team, but they weren't really kind of living that the first seven or eight year. But lately they've been, they had been getting those post touches, you know, kind of early and often. Does that play a role in in tempo a little bit? Because it seems like their tempo has been down. I know they, they did a better job, scored 100 points Tuesday. But does that factor in as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, under when, when Coach Williams was there, it was primary, you know, push the ball hard, try to score in primary. If that's not there, they get that quick ball reversal. They set up secondary. They're always looking for that rim running big as soon as they can get it. And they'll go through their secondary set. And if that's not there, they go into, like, you know, freelance or some kind of half-court set. But with Hubert, it's been more walk the ball up and just run the half-court offense. So it has been slower. But the last two games, you're seeing, you know, Armando is consistently running to the front of the rim. They're getting a bunch of early, easy entries to him. Yeah, in the first, you know, eight or ten seconds of the clock. So like you're saying, it, it is speeding up tempo. They're getting those early looks early in the clock. And kind of big picture, and this this may get you into some speculation, which uh, proceeded your own risk in that regard. Uh, with with the rebounding numbers being a little bit down, and that's you know, that's to be expected, I think, when you when you focus more on kind of a, a spread offense like Hubert does. Um, that was such a big part of what Roy Williams wanted to do because number one, it limited opponents possessions while creating more possessions but it also kind of gave you a foot up as, as you mentioned with kind of the secondary break stuff of getting out running more um in terms of you, you mentioned the guys first couple games of the year anyway the first first eight games of the year more kind of walking the ball up to set up the offense is the tempo uh something that hubert seems to, to really want to push and he can't quite yet even though we've seen glimpses of it? Or is this kind of a, something that he can't do because of the rebounding is not where it needs to be? Or does it disappear that he has uh, a, kind of a new shift and that, yeah, he wants to push the ball. He does not want to push it as much as Roy. I know that's kind of a broad question, but can you kind of pinpoint that at all? I don't think, yeah, I don't, I don't know if anybody in the world wants to push the ball as much as Roy. You know, that was kind of his whole thing is, you know, he was always – waving the guards up the court and then, you know, yelling run and move. I mean, that's just kind of his thing. I think Hubert does want to play faster. So, I mean, I, I think he does want to play faster than they're playing now, but probably not as fast as, or he's not emphasizing as much as they did under Roy, because that's, I mean, Roy was kind of 
like like I said, nobody really wants to run that much. Uh, I and as far as rebounding goes, I like to always make sure we differentiate between offensive rebounding and defensive rebounding. Uh, I think the offensive rebounding failures or not failures, but why it's down from hit the historical level is more a systemic thing. You know, it's playing more four and five out offenses as opposed to, you know, the the three around two that they ran under Coach Williams. So that's just, I mean, I think that's going to be lower historically. I mean, in this, with Hubert in charge, uh, defensive rebounding is something they emphasize that uh, Hubert emphasizes a lot. And I don't think it's, and they were very, very good at it last year. And they're a little shaky at the first couple games. And it's been pretty strong ever since. And I don't think there's any reason to believe that that won't be a strength of, you know, with Hubert in charge also. And to your point, they'll be able to control the glass. And if they want to push, they'll be able to push, you know, off of defensive rebounds. Adrian, let me ask you a question going back to shot selection article. A um, couple bullet points in there I find interesting. Uh, Thirty, uh, Roughly 40% of Carolina's three-pointers are off the dribble. Last year was less than 30%. Um, that number, and also as a result, R.J. Davis, um, you've got him at 68% last year were open or lightly contested and only 43% this year. Is it a function of, of defenses sort of catching up to Hubert Davis's offense, or is it, do you believe that's a function of just the nature of Hubert Davis's offense in college basketball these days? I think it's mainly execute. Uh, Carolina just wasn't executing as well. And the guards weren't really, I mean, the guards were just taking, bad shots for the most part like they can get better shots they have in the last couple games almost everything they got yesterday was a catch and shoot three you know um, i think five of caleb's six were catch and shoot he didn't he did make one off the dribble in transition uh so mainly i don't think it i don't think it's really i mean i guess there there is a lot more ball screening with hubert's offense and one of the reads i mean if if the defense drops, you'll have that off the dribble three or, you know, that pull up mid range. So, I mean, that's a shot that the guards need to be able to make. And there, there, it wasn't really there as much in Roy's offense. So there's a little bit of a systemic element to it, but I think they still want to get those post touches and then kind of play inside out or, you know, get the drive and kick action to get more of those catch and shoot threes. I, I don't think there's any offense that wants to get all those off the dribble threes. You know, it's, it's a tough shot. So, I mean, those, those aren't ideal shots, at least in my opinion. Adrian, just kind of looking at the, the individual players, um, has there any, been anybody that's kind of stood out to you that, that's kind of elevated their play from last year thus far? Uh, I mean, I guess in certain areas, I mean, Baycott's been a little banged up. He's not finishing around the rim nearly as well. But, I mean, if he, he's a little bit injured, so. Uh, I think RJ's defense has been better than it was last year. But he's not shooting the ball as well. Caleb has probably been a little bit worse on both ends. Uh, I guess, yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, DeMarco Don made a big leap until he got, you know, he broke his, got, broke his wrist or his thumb, whatever it was. Uh, he he was an obvious guy that made a pretty good improvement. Uh, Leaky's kind of 
the same leak we've always seen. You know, he's playing really good defense still. It's kind of a non-factor on offense. So I, n- nobody in that starting lineup has made a huge leap yet. So, I mean, that's probably one of the reasons for the, the slow start, I guess. Yeah, yeah and I, I think the one of the other big numbers that jumps out is the fact that you know, they're shooting, what, 31.5% from three. Mm-hmm. Which is near the near the bottom of the of the country. So just just seeing improvement from that kind of reversion to the to the mean, if you will, um, that should help things. But let me ask you this: just from from the the numbers that you've looked at and all the games that you scouted thus far, a lot of people have panicked that hey, this was a team that came into the year as the number one team in the country. Now they're outside the top twenty-five. Uh, when you start looking at, okay, they lost to Virginia Tech, but that was on the road without Armando. Bama's proven to be pretty good. Um, Iowa State, you know, uh, that was kind of a unique game with the, with the kid getting hot the way he did. Is there, is there any reason for fans to be panicking at this point, given, given what you've seen thus far? I mean, fans are going to be fans, right? They're going to overreact the losses. I think the nature of having those four games all in a row, you know, if it was like a loss and a couple wins and maybe back-to-back losses, a couple more wins, another loss, you know, that's easier to stomach maybe than four losses in a row. And I think, I don't necessarily know if Carolina was an overwhelming number one. You know, I know they were voted number one, but if you look at them last year, they weren't certainly dominant. They had the, they had the great run in March, but even, th- even then they only got there around, you know, they were in the top 20 in Ken Palm, but they weren't like a, even a top 10 team after that run. So, I mean, it, I guess it kind of depends on your expectations, right? If you're expecting like a 2009 or 2012 or 2005 type wire to wire, just dominant, you know, top three, top five team, then you probably are disappointed. I personally didn't know or I didn't feel that it was that type of juggernaut and there would be some bumps along the way. But I am surprised by how poorly they started out on defense this year. The defense was very strong in the year and it kind of I mean there's been some regression in terms of team defense and I, I mean you know Nance is new to the system and they've got a bunch of new bench guys but still I'm I'm surprised the defense has kind of slipped where it was at the beginning of last year yeah Tommy I've I made the point on one of the threads uh, a couple of days ago they were talking about uh, you know the, the scheduling's kind of what tripped North Carolina up or, or did it trip North Carolina up with having to go to Portland and then having to go directly to Indiana uh, and then you know, going from there to, to Blacksburg. And I just went back and looked at the 2019, which went out to Maui, and then they came back, and uh, after a short trip home uh, from Maui, they went out and opened the arena in Asheville, and then they went to Detroit to play Michigan State, who ultimately made the national championship game. And Carolina's average margin of victory during that stretch, which in which they were undefeated, was like 34.8 points. <laughs> um, and so Adrian's point there is important in terms of if you're thinking that this Carolina team was going to be a team that came in and just beat anybody that was outside the top 25 by 30 points, uh, that's not it. There was nothing really to suggest that was going to happen. Uh, now, I think we can all agree this you know, this is a top 25 team. They may not have that number beside them right now, but they will get to that point. Um, but this was a team that had a lot of things they needed to work on. 
And, uh, you know, as Adrian has shared with us today, they've made some progress. Some other things uh, like defense has not been as good. But as Hubert showed us last year, he did a pretty good job kind of getting that team to where they needed to be by February. Um, and that will be the, the benchmark for him this year is, okay, we know they didn't start the way they wanted to, but can they get to a point where they can get into the tournament and potentially make a run? And uh, that's how this season is going to be graded, fair or not. I agree with that 100%. Uh, you know, when you set the bar that high, a Final Four run, a national championship game run, um, you, you work forever to get back to it. Adrian Atkinson, Freeport kid. Adrian, last question for you, um, from me, um, just because I want folks to understand the depth that you go into with this stuff. Give me a ballpark on how, how long you spend on one game, watching one game, um, to be able to do what you do with the numbers? Yeah, it probably takes me about two hours to, uh, you know, if for a two-hour game, it probably takes me about two hours to chart it all because I can obviously fast-forward through commercials and foul shots and halftime and everything, but then I rewind every play multiple times. I've gotten pretty efficient with the uh, the 10-second rewind, and, you know, so I, I can get through them pretty quickly. And then it takes another hour or two to kind of – enter that data into my database and, you know, then another, you know, if I'm writing an article or, I mean, you have to actually spend some time on that data to see where the interesting insights are. So that can be another couple hours. So Well, we, we certainly appreciate everything you do for Inside Carolina. I know the listeners and the watchers and the message board folks, if you're on the UNC basketball premium message board, and of course on Twitter, appreciate it. Uh, it's fascinating to me. It is absolutely fascinating where the numbers have taken us. That's why I titled this show, The Numbers Behind the Tar Heels. Greg Barnes, I'm Tommy Ashley. That's Adrian Atkinson, the legendary Adrian Atkinson. Many of you have seen his work. Now you've seen his face and heard his words. Adrian, appreciate you taking the time, my friend. Yep, thanks. Enjoyed it. Sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, by the way. I've almost forgotten Johnny T-Shirt. Can't ever forget him. Rate us, review us, subscribe, all that good stuff. We'll be back next week with another show. Happy holidays, folks. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-average do of 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.